everyone, welcome to the Paw Awareness Podcast, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and also check us out at pawawareness.org and on Instagram at pawawareness underscore official. On Instagram, we are doing submissions for Pet of the Week, where you can submit your foster pet, and we'll pick one winner every month, and we'll give $200 to their choice of charity or foster. Thanks for watching, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Paw Awareness Podcast. Today I have Laura Pisoni with Bronx Community Cats. So I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself and uh, what it is that you guys do over there. As you said, I'm Laura. By day, I'm a graduate student. And uh, by, I guess, later in the day, um, I help run a TNR-focused group in um, the Bronx borough of New York City. And um, we've been around for, goodness, since September of last year, so about half a year now. And um, yeah, we were really interested in TNR in our local community. Now, can you, you know, since you are newer, can you share how, you know, how it started and kind of what was the story behind that? Yeah, so it's interesting, actually. I think that the impacts of COVID over the past year are going to show themselves in a lot of strange ways. And so I think COVID has an interesting role in this story. The Tanya and I, one of the other people who founded it, uh, we both used to volunteer for another much larger rescue organization in New York. And um, the more we learned about the TNR aspect, the role of TNR, and how difficult it is to sort of have a robust TNR program within a larger rescue, um, we had sort of uh, batted around the idea of focusing on TNR at some point in the future, right? And when COVID hit, we were home a lot. We were in our neighborhoods a lot. Um, you know, the only thing you could do was sort of walk around your own neighborhood for a while here. And we really could see, I think, on the ground how insufficient rescue alone was in dealing with the needs of the community cat population in the Bronx. And I think we felt really motivated being able to see it happening on the streets, literally around us, um, especially as COVID, you know, hit people. And, and it seems, at least from my impression, more cats were ending up on the street, um, maybe as people couldn't sort of support them as well. And as even the local shelter um, had to close its doors a few times to new intakes. We were faced with this situation um, not only that, but a lot of the TNR that we do in New York City, um, we actually, there's a really robust program through the ASPCA to offer um, spay-neuter appointments for uh, community animals. Um, they're very coveted. They're very difficult to get, but it's, uh, it's something that a lot of places don't have. But during, um, for most of COVID, they shut that program down or limited it to extremely. And so these appointments became super coveted and it became very difficult to do this work. And so looking at how hard it was and the impact that, you know, I think rescues in particular found themselves in a money crunch as well, right? And foster animals uh, that were already in the program became a higher um, priority financially. And so TNR programs I think did suffer financially. And so we sort of said, look, we're here. We know what we can do on a shoestring budget. Um, and if we can start on our block, 
because we we live right down the street from one another. If we can start in our block and really help the situation here, then we can expand out to the next one and the next one and maybe make some real impacts um, by focusing specifically on TNR, um, which is uh, dollar for dollar, uh, the bang for your buck is just amazing uh, when it comes to population control and animal health. So. Yeah. And you make a good point too. I mean, it's like, you know, rescues can only do so much and it kind of starts on the streets, right? Like just Mm -hmm. basically, you know, trying to neutralize that growing cat population. I I think that's amazing. And, 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 you know, I like how you started one block at a time, right? I mean, it's just, it's a huge problem and, you know, just, you got to take it in bite-sized chunks. And yeah, we, we incidentally actually feed a colony right down the street from us, um, which uh, has a fluctuating number of cats, but usually right around 20. And they're all fixed except for one who won't let me trap him, but he's my goal for this month. They live, they're fat and happy. People are always telling me, oh, those cats are very healthy by which I think they mean fat. Um, but they, they get along very well. They're very, um, communal cats, they get along with one another really well too. And seeing the impacts that TNR can have on like the colony that you're feeding every day was just like, wow, it doesn't take rocket science. (laughs) The fact that all these animals are fixed and fed, they're doing great. The average age we think of the animals there is between four and five years old, which without any care, they would be looking at probably the end of their lives as as community cats. And uh, I can tell you from looking at them every day that I think that they're doing just fine. <laughs> There's no risks uh, to them anytime soon. That's amazing. And just for people listening here that might be new, that's not familiar with TNR, and I'm asking you this as mm-hmm. well, if I understand correctly, when you when you trap, neuter, and then obviously return, the return part is so, because if I, if I gather this correctly, if you take those cats out, won't more cats come in and kind of like fill their spot? Yes. And um, so you can't, you want to put the cats back. So that way uh, that doesn't happen, correct? I think it's twofold. Um, one is if your goal is population control, right? That's at least one of your major goals with TNR. Um, if you just are taking animals out, new unfixed animals will always migrate in to fill those gaps, right? Especially in a dense urban area like this, there will always be more cats. And so once you remove, you know, the most powerful male or whatever from the community of cats, another one will sneak in, sometimes very quickly, um, who is unfixed and is not helping with your population control methods. Um, Ultimately, a good colony is one that's stable, same players all the time, um, and sort of lives out its natural life to completion, right, as a colony. And the second one is, A lot of cats who are living, um, you know, community cats come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and demeanors. Some are sort of uh, people adjacent, you know, they'll rub up against their feeder or (laughs) they'll let you pet them while you're feeding them. Other ones are uh, extremely unsocialized. A cat like that can't live inside. So if you pick it up and bring it to the shelter, what's the option? Right, so the only option then sort of becomes euthanasia, right? For a cat that was otherwise healthy uh, and content, maybe living, maybe living where it was, um, and so it really doesn't do any good. Not only you're not going to help control the population, but you're also not sort of um, necessarily 
attending to the welfare of that particular animal um, in the same way you might if you get it fixed and put it back. Uh, you would think that they would hate you after you take them and get surgery and put them back, but um, mine usually come back and start feeding again the next day. They forgive you pretty quick um, wow. and, they, and they stick around. So that's cool. That's really cool. And, and I mean, just getting to see this, I mean, that's, uh, you know, firsthand, that has to be amazing, but what are some, you know, pro like I, I can't, you know, starting something mid pandemic, what are some challenges you've had to face and what are some things that you've seen out on the field um, for yourself and the organization? That's a really good question. Um, I will, uh, start by saying all of this is purely based on my own observation. I don't, Perfect. I don't know if the data will bear this out in the long term, but um, I, a few things that I know. Opportunities for getting animals, cats in particular, fixed in the Bronx were already pretty low. There are not a huge number of veterinary um, offices in the borough, um, and there's a lot of cats. <laughs> And so people, it was already a struggle to, even for people who were motivated, it was already a struggle to figure out how to get your animals, um, you know, the ones that you feed, the ones that you trap, um, get them fixed and tended to. Um, I think that the reduction in services led to real fear that what we were going to see was an explosion of kittens in the following year because the kittens that were born last year would all be fertile now and, uh, and starting their own reproductive cycles. And I, I don't know how that's borne out across the Bronx, but I think that that was also sort of a driving impulse was if we don't do anything now, we'll have to do 10 times as much work later. I think too, there are maybe other parts of the city where there's a higher density of people who trap and people who are familiar with how TNR works. The Bronx has a lot of really dedicated independent trappers um, who do exceptional work. But in some ways, we're all sort of working on our own, right? Which ultimately maybe especially under the, the pressures of COVID um, was not the model that made the most sense, right? Because we're talking about an urban area where people don't necessarily drive. Even if you can, you don't necessarily have anywhere to park. You don't have anywhere to keep animals once you trap them. We don't have like nice garages <laughs> or whatever. Um, you know, we're holding in people's basements or bathrooms. I mean, it's, it's very intimate. And again, the population here all, overall is, is not wealthy um, in the Bronx in general. And so all of those pressures put together during COVID, a time when all of these resources were even more reduced, I think really showed that there had to be some group that at very least tried to maybe bring some people together and uh, try to coordinate the efforts to sort of get the most, um, to be the most efficient. Um, and so that has been great, actually. We've developed a lot of really, really good relationships with people um, that have allowed us to do more together than we could have apart. Um, Animal-wise, I have seen, even in my local little colony, more um, cats that I would identify as being dumped um, friendly cats than in previous years. Uh, I, I think, I don't know exactly why, but I'm guessing that pressures on housing, 
and pressures on food and medical care for pets have really put people in difficult positions um, vis-a-vis surrendering their animals um, and sometimes uh, putting them outside is their method of surrender. And so we have in the last year, I wanna say just on our park, which is like one long city block, very thin, it's a very strange park. Um, I wanna say we took out at least four or five friendly cats from there this past year. Um, and that's just like this one block, right? So I, I think that that has probably increased and will probably have impacts going into the future um, when it comes to the number of animals on the street. And I know that we were kind of touching on this before the call. What do you, in terms of like values and, and whatnot, what are some things that you see or that you find important in a TNR organization or just any kind of, any kind of TNR program? I think one of the most important things is to think about the community that you serve and that what you do is you serve that community, right? I think it's easy to look maybe at a place where there are lots of um, community cats, maybe people are dumping cats, um, and, and to think something um, pretty negative about the people who live there, right? To sort of think of them as sort of a monolith of people who don't care about animals. And I think that having thinking about your values and how they're going to reflect in your work. So when we're working in the Bronx, which is where we live, right? We're not, we're literally in our own neighborhoods, um, is we're thinking about diversity. Um, we are working class people and we're working with other working class people. Um, so we're working with and amongst people at a socioeconomic level where just saying, I don't understand why you can't just go and get your cat fixed. It's like an you know, it's unreasonable statement and that's not fair. That doesn't help serve them. Um, I think that putting the dignity of the people that we work with and the communities that we work in ahead of our own ego in every case and to focus on empowering people who are in general, I have to tell you, of all the people I've met, I have not met a single person who was like, you know what, I hate those cats. Maybe people don't love their nuisance behaviors, right? Unfixed males pee everywhere. It smells just terrible. Uh, unfixed females yowl all night looking for a suitor. Those nuisance behaviors are, as they're called, you know, they're a nuisance. But overall, I have found people who may not have extraordinary amounts of money or other resources who care very, very deeply for the animals around them and empowering them to do the work of, TNR is a major goal, which is something that can live beyond us and something that can grow in its own organic way, right? One person can teach the next, can teach the next and um, talk about the value of not just feeding cats, but of getting them the medical care that they need. That's really cool. And I think it's great too that you, I mean, you bring up a good point in terms of, you know, putting the community first and from just talking with a few different TNR programs across the nation, every single one, every single program seems like facing their own issues in their own, in their own niche community. So if you take this cookie cutter approach, it seems like, you know, as, as opposed to like the specialized listening to the people, 
putting your own ego aside, I think it's just not going to be the best results for long term if you don't do that. So exactly. And I think it really can only help if you stop thinking of the people who are there as the problem and start thinking of them as your teammates, right? People that you can recruit ultimately for this goal. You know, in this one park where I feed the people now, they call me the cat lady, um, (laughs) which is fine. Um, But they'll tell me things that they've seen. Oh, there's a cat down there, right? They become part of a network that's dedicated in some ways to uh, animal welfare. Um, And you can only do that by looking at the people around you and saying, we are all working together towards a goal. You just maybe don't know it yet. (laughs) Um, But that we all can get on the same side and we're not working against one another. We're going to work together. Yeah, I think that's, and I think that's amazing too, that you guys have, you know, you're relatively new, but you're already, it sounds like building those deep connections in the community. And, you know, speaking of that, what are some goals that you guys have this year and maybe going into 2022, right? Like that you guys have that for the organization? Well, we sort of have three major areas that we want to work in. The first one is obviously TNR. We have since September as an organization, TNR'd uh, about 170 cats from the Bronx. We have occasionally worked with friendly cats and helped get them some services that they needed, but that's exclusively the TNRs of community cats. And we have found that one of the great things about TNR that I think you don't necessarily realize until you really get into it is how much of a service you can offer to an animal in such a short amount of time. So for example, last week I was feeding and there was a cat who came up. I've seen him a couple of times. He's not a regular eater there. And he was breathing. He had a terrible breathing problem. You could hear him making a strange sound when he was breathing from like a distance. I could hear him. So I went home. I got my trap. I said, I'm sure he's going to be gone by the time I get back. But he was still there. I trapped him. He got neutered on Saturday. He got a course of dewormers. We think he might have had lungworm. And Plus, he got his shots, right, which for a lot of feral cats, even one dose of the rabies vaccines and the um, combo vaccines could cover them for most of their life as a feral cat, since their lifespans are expected to be shorter than a domestic cat. So we got him fixed. We got him his shots. And we hopefully helped at least get him on the start of the path towards recovering from this lung issue in like a week and a couple days. While, while he was in Tanya's, uh, my, my uh, uh, organizational partner's hallway right? in, a, in a trap, a large trap. Um, it's, that was all in one week. And so you can pack a ton into these very short windows where you interact with an animal. You can really get them a huge amount of preventative care and medical care at the same time. Um, so TNR, number one, um, our constant and ever-present goal. Um, Number two, I would say is to support other TNR certified people who are not necessarily in our organization, but are doing their own work to help connect them to the resources that they need. Again, there's there's some parts of New York where you might have a certified trapper on literally every block, right? They know each other. It's a great density of them. And so they have interactions with one another regularly. Here, I think you could go a whole lot of time and you would never stumble across somebody else trapping in the Bronx. It's a huge borough. Um, And so getting those people uh, working together 
and getting them the resources that they might need, you know, making a phone call to somebody else who might know the person who they need to talk to is tremendously useful and helps build these natural networks that um, are really what is going to be the strength of the TNR operation in the Bronx, I think in the future, are going to be these networks, regardless of whether I'm around or this organization is even around, um, I think is is the future there. Um, and this includes these super coveted spay-neuter appointments. So we may have, we may, we have appointments already and you are an independent trapper and you tell me I'm going to trap two cats this week. I can tell you, okay, I can give you two appointments, right? In a way that might be impossible for you to get access to these appointments as one individual uh, because the system is very difficult to, um, to use. The third one is actually surrender prevention. And I don't think that, you know, this is not what we put on a business card, but ultimately knowing that a huge number of street cats are, were once owned pets, uh, we know that. Uh, cats don't get friendly on their own. <laughs> they're like, I always, I try to explain to people they're like squirrels, right? They're cute from afar, but like a truly feral cat, you don't want to touch. Uh, you don't know where it's been. Um, but there are cats who are extremely friendly. They come up, they meow, they talk to you, they purr. Like these are not cats that lived their whole life on the street. So, and they contribute to animal overpopulation. So if we can keep any animal that we can keep in the home or the business, New York actually has uh, lots of um, cats who uh, live and work in um, bodegas for the most part, but also grocery stores. They're a great part of sort of the New York landscape. But an unfixed cat is difficult, right? It might be spraying. It might be trying to break out. It might be screaming at all hours of the night. And that it could be that a spay or neuter is the difference between a cat being able to stay in its home or in its business and being put out in the street or surrendered to um, the ACC. And so we have been um, regularly getting requests that we do our utmost um, to try to meet for people who can't, for whatever reason, take advantage of sort of the regular channels to get spay and neuter um, services to try to help manage that for them and be to, to liaison with the people who can make it happen. Um, and I think that going forward, particularly I see a really important role in helping. It's very difficult to get, I think, the, um, the trust maybe of business owners. I, I think they're worried that what's gonna happen is you're gonna come and steal their cat um, and never bring it back. And business owners who have cats deeply care for them, like deeply. Um, and building trust with a few, we, we have done a few bodega cats, um, helps sort of spread that network. And it means there's fewer cats being born in the basement of the bodega that are then being given away or put out because they don't need 10 you know, cats to chase away the mice they leave on. <laughs> um, and so, I think that that could be really useful um, to be able to help get those services for people who um, just might not have thought like, oh, my life would be a lot easier if my working cat was fixed. Um, so I think all three of those things and the goal for the next year is to expand capacity um, to, you know, money is tight. Uh, it's not, you know, we're not picking it up off the street, as it were. And um, I know I've, I've um, 
listened to your podcast before, and I've heard a lot of people talk about money. And I think that it's particularly dire for TNR organizations. It's easier to raise money. You know, you go on Instagram and somebody presents you with a bucket of adorable kittens. They're like, oh, kittens are adorable. I'm going to give 20 bucks because I love adorable kittens. Right? That's natural. I totally get it. Or you go and you see a picture of like some cat whose whole leg is off or like some terrible disease. And you're like, oh God, this poor cat is suffering. I got to give some money to help stop the suffering of this animal. And I totally respect all of those impulses. But like, we're out there trapping these cats. They like got scars all over their face. <laughs> like, angry, mean looking little, little guys. And, um, you know, they're not going to hug you, right? You're not going to take them out of the trap and have a cuddle. Um, and so we're stuck in an interesting position. We can't sort of um, market ourselves to raise money by being like, oh, aren't these cats adorable? Because, you know, sometimes they have faces only a, only a feeder could love. Um, and we also can't, it's, it's not these emergency situations. It's the everyday grind of helping, you know, to get cats TNR'd every single day. It just doesn't resonate with the market in the same way that other things might. And so money is difficult to raise. Um, and so this year, I think a lot of the emphasis, now that we have some real numbers, is, is going to be trying to increase our net and um, figure out some creative ways to raise money to support these efforts, uh, which are remarkably cheap. I mean, I think our average right now is $28 an animal. Nice. Okay. Um, to get it fixed shots, dewormed, uh, and flea treated. I mean, you can't, you can't do much more for less. Um, but that's still $28, you know, so it's still a, it's still a grind to find the funds to do it. And so that that's going to be a major push going into the end of this year and into next year, probably forever, but especially right now. Yeah. It seems like, you know, for every rescue organization, TNR, uh, shelter fostering program money is just such a huge bottleneck and you know for all of those individuals you know wanting to help out there like like a few a f like like you just said like wow 28 dollars, and and that just took that just essentially who knows the ripple effect that could have down the road because one cat means less a lot less cats so exactly if you think about how many cats how many kittens a female cat on the street could have in her lifetime. It is, I mean, we have trapped animals that the vet estimated to be 10 years old who are still reproducing twice a year. Wow. So not only are we talking about the numbers and most of those kittens, I mean, very, it's very sad to say, but most of those kittens will not survive. Um, yeah. Survival rates on the street for newborns are, are very low, but it the ripple effects, like you said, are incredible because they get those shots, right? And now they're not dying of Panluke for no reason on the street. And they're not passing it around the colonies that they live in. And so the health of each animal helps to promote the health of all the animals that they come into contact with in the same way that we, we think about it in human terms, right? It's better if you have a cold, you should cough into, <laughs> into your elbow. Cats can't cough into their elbow. So we have to help them help <laughs> one another. Um, I'd like to see them try to cough into their elbow, but <laughs> we, we have to help them. And that, one cat or, you know, hopefully not just one cat, maybe a whole colony's worth of cats um, can ultimately, you know, you may not see the full fruits of it for a couple of years, but they're there. Um, and especially when they're in colonies that are 
monitored and people can keep looking back at them and say, yep, they still look good. They're still looking nice. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And how can people find you guys, right? Whether they want to donate, follow your guys' journey, see, you know, you guys are new. I always love talking with new businesses, new organizations. It's so cool to see. So how can people find you guys? The best way to find us, I think, is um, via Instagram at Bronx Community Cats. We have a website at bronxcommunitycats.org. It is, of course, under um, <laughs> always under construction. And those are the two major ways that people can find out what we're doing and contact us. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And whatever medium you're listening on, that will be in the description below. Laura, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was so great speaking to you. I feel like I I learned so much uh, and hearing your perspective was so, was so refreshing. So thank you so much. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, anytime, I'd be happy to sit down and chat with you. All right. Thank you. Okay.